I'm just kind of taking it in for a minute. It's going to be a while before I get to stand before you and share with you God's Word. So I just, just wanted to pause and just enjoy it. Okay, good. <laughs> this morning, there are three things that are true about me. Uh, number one, I have been serving here for a few years. Uh, I've been serving in some capacity at the Community Church of East Gloucester for 19 years. Started as a volunteer worship leader. Oh, that was not a call for applause. (laughs) It started, I was a first year seminary student. We found this little church in East Gloucester and they needed some help with worship. And I was like, well, I play guitar. And eventually came on staff as an associate pastor of worship and Christian formation. And was eventually called to be lead pastor in 2005, a role I have attempted to fulfill to the best of my ability and by God's grace for the last 13 years. So I've been here a while. Number two, I'm tired. And over the last two decades, Together with my family, we have thrown ourselves into life together here with all of you as a church. We have laughed with you. We have wept with you. Uh, I have done my best to cultivate a love for Jesus and a commitment to His Word to walk with you through the joys and sorrows of life. Then you throw a PhD into the mix, lecturing occasionally at the seminary, helping with preaching classes, occasional writing projects, and then let's just throw four years of staffing transition into the mix. And have you seen my office recently? It's an absolute mess. I'm tired. And then third, the Lord has granted my family a season of rest. A four-month sabbatical. Which is not a vacation. Although we are doing a lot of vacation-y sounding things. But it is a season for renewal. A season for replenishment. A season to fuel back up again for the next 20 years. (laughs) So this is my last Sunday before the sabbatical begins. And I had to ask myself, what do I want to preach? The answer that actually came back to me was, I don't want to preach at all. Um, I actually just want to share my heart with you this morning. Uh, And here's my heart for you. While my family gets to take advantage of this season of rest and renewal, my heart for you as a church family is this. Um, I don't want you to miss out. I don't want any of you to miss out on what God is about to do here at Community Church. Let me explain what I mean by that, because I think there are two ways we can approach a season like this, these next four months of sabbatical, and one of the ways is to go into a holding pattern. Okay, Tim's leaving, the lead pastor's gone, so let, we, we just drop into a holding pattern, we circle the wagons, we can, we can wait it out until he gets back, and then we can get on with chasing Jesus together. Now, I'm not actually accusing anyone here of consciously choosing that option. 
I know you all well enough to know that none of you would intentionally say, let's just stick it in neutral for four months. But I also know human nature enough to say sometimes that happens inadvertently. And you think, oh, well, I guess we'll just keep on trucking. I think it's more subtle. I think that kind of thinking can inadvertently sneak in. And if you adopt that posture, and I think that would be my greatest fear and my greatest disappointment would be that you would miss out on all that God is about to do here at Community Church. He wants you to know Him. He wants you to be known by Him. And He wants you growing with Him. So the far better option I propose to you is not to press pause, but to realize that God is at work here at Community Church, even when I'm not here. Maybe uniquely, and especially when I'm not here. Maybe over the next four months, well, my heart is that you will chase after Jesus with such passion and commitment, and that you won't settle for anything less than His presence with you and among you. I don't want you to miss out on anything that the Lord has in store for you. And I think Psalm 107 speaks truth into this very kind of situation. As much as I do want to share my heart with you, I think hopefully if you've been here long enough, you know that uh, it's God's Word that gives us life, not Tim's. So I would invite you to turn to Psalm 107 this morning because we're going to use that to orient our thinking about what it means to not miss out on all that God has for you. If you're using a Black Pew Bible, you can find it on page 490. Psalm 107 is long. So I'm not going to read it all for you up front. We're going to chunk it down and take a couple pieces of it at a time. But I want you to know Psalm 107 is the basis upon which we submitted the application for this grant that got us the sabbatical. We have built the sabbatical experience, these four months, around Psalm 107. So in some ways it's only appropriate for this morning to be focused on Psalm 107, which begins, if you have it in front of you, give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And even right there, that sets up the whole psalm. Psalm 107 is a series of stories, anecdotes, stanzas, where the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So for example, let's look at the first story of Psalm 107. It's verses 4 through 9, and I call it, The Wanderer. Follow along with me as I read. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. So let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. There it is. There's the first story. What's happening in this story? 
They're missing out. They're missing out on what God has for them. They're wandering off away from the Lord. That's how it starts. Some wandered off into the desert wastelands. They wandered away from the Lord. They brought this huge crisis upon themselves because they wandered away. Maybe it wasn't by some intentional decision, hey, let's go wander away from the Lord. But maybe it wasn't by being careful to follow the Lord either. And they look around one day and realize, wait a minute, we're lost. And in that moment of crisis, the only thing that's left to us is to cry out to the Lord. And the text says, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And what's beautiful is that those who wandered away, God still sees them. God rescues them. He brings them out of the wasteland and into a place where there is plenty. He satisfies their needs. He gives them a home. He gives them a future. God sees them and delivers them. And so the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord because this is a great story. He takes the wanderer who is lost and makes them found. Mm, Good story. So we move on to the second story. And it's the story of the rebel. Verses 10 through 16, follow with me again as I read. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So He subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. And He saved them in their trouble from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness. He broke away their chains. So let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. For He breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. What's happening in this story? God, they're missing out again! Hopefully it's not the same people. But here they are rebelling against God and against His plans, thumbing their nose at Him, saying, I don't want to do life your way. I don't like what you're doing in my life or in the world. Get lost, God. An intentional decision to thumb their nose at God. They bring a crisis on themselves. They end up imprisoned. Whether that's literal or figurative, they end up in prison. And when they finally reach the end of themselves, and they're pushing God out of their lives, there is nothing left to them except to cry out to the Lord. And so they do. And the amazing thing is, the God we serve, even when we've told Him to get lost, He's not lost. And He sees, and He redeems, and He rescues. He does a prison break. And it says that the Lord breaks their chains and sets them free. Man, that's a good story. I like that story. There's a third story. This is the story of the fool. It picks up in verses 17 through 22. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. 
And He saved them from their distress. He sent out His Word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of His works with songs of joy. What's happening in this story? They're missing out. They're missing out on life with God. They're missing out on the closeness of His presence. And whether they're getting all fancy with their philosophies and saying, we don't need God. There's no such thing as sin. I don't know what it is that they're saying. But they become fools in their beliefs until they reach the end of their philosophy and have nothing left but emptiness. And they begin to waste away. And when they finally reach the end of themselves, all they have left is to cry out to the Lord. And He saves them again. This is like the third time. He keeps saving. He keeps redeeming. He keeps rescuing. He sends His Word and heals them with His truth. And so the psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord and sing for joy. These are three great stories we have here in Psalm 107. The story of the wanderer, the story of the rebel, the story of the fool. What do these things have in common? Here's the first thing they have in common. Human brokenness leads to crisis. In every one of these stories, it's our own stupidity that gets us into these situations. Right? We wander off, we rebel, or we make foolish choices, and we end up in crisis and need rescuing from ourselves. What else do these three stories have in common? In every one of these stories, when we reach the end of ourselves, all we have left is to cry out to God. And so what is the actual best part of all three stories? That no matter how far we wander, how much we rebel, or what kind of fools we are, God saves. God redeems. God rescues. And these are three good stories. But i got to say, none of them really connected with me as much as the fourth one does. Because in my exhaustion, in my tiredness, I didn't wander off. I've been right here. I, I didn't rebel against the Lord and say, screw it all! And I am a fool, but it, that wasn't a response to being tired. That's just the natural state of things. So how did, I res- how did I respond in my exhaustion? Here's how I respond. I put my head down. I, by that I don't mean like in elementary school when it's getting a little crazy in class and the teacher like turns out the light says, everybody put your heads down on your desk. And you're like, fine. Did, did anyone grow up with that? No? Okay, okay, good. I'm not a complete moron up here. Good. By putting my head down... Um, I mean like focusing in, leaning into a task. Uh, It's my default posture when I'm exhausted, ironically, to put my head down and push harder to get things done. it's, It's like walking in winter facing a biting wind. And so you put your head down. You're like, okay, I can do this if I just put one foot in front of the other and I will get this done. 
the problem with this approach <laughs> is that life with God is kind of the opposite of that. Life with God invites us to have our eyes up to see Him and His beauty, to see His glory on display all around us, to see the mighty and beautiful deeds of a loving God all around us, delighting in His work, enjoying the wide open spaces, even if those open spaces are hard spaces. The fact that God is with us, even in the hard spaces, we only see it if our eyes are up. When you walk too long with your head down, you don't see that God is with you. You don't see that God is around you. And your heart starts to calcify. It gets calloused. It starts to get less supple. Your heart starts to die. And the weird thing is, you don't even notice because your head's down. And you're just putting one foot in front of the other saying, I will keep going, so help me God. And I'm here to say, you can't live like this. It's not the way we're made to live. And we think, oh, I can do it for a season because this is just a hard season. So I'm just going to put my head down and push through. This kills. Which is why the fourth verse, the fourth story of Psalm 107 is so good. After all, it's Gloucester's unofficial Bible verse. <laughs> right? You've, you've seen, this might be familiar to some of you. There's our good old fisherman in the Fisherman's Monument, the, the memorial downtown on the boulevard. What's on the other side of this monument? Exactly, yes. They that go down to the sea in ships. This is a quote from Psalm 107. The memorial is intended to commemorate those who have lost their lives in the Gloucester fishing industry over the last like 400 years. But the verse actually comes from here from Psalm 107. And there's kind of a different story going on here. The, the text we're looking at, Psalm 107, verse 23, begins and says, Some went out to the sea in ships. There were merchants on the mighty waters. Like, oh, this is going to be good. Except that's all it really tells us. And you think, wait a minute. Hold the phone. That is categorically different than the other three stories we just heard. Right? The wanderer wanders off, gets lost, hungry, thirsty, crisis. The Lord saves. The rebel rejects God. Nah, I don't want you anymore. Cries out to the Lord. The Lord rescues him. The fool abandons himself to iniquity. Cries out to the Lord. The Lord rescues. And here, they're just merchants. They're just doing their job. What's so crisis about this? They're just going about their daily lives. They go out on the sea in ships. They're engaged in trade. There's no sin. There's no rebellion. There's no foolishness. There's no crisis. But sometimes, God intervenes even when there is no crisis. Sometimes God intervenes because there's no crisis. Sometimes God brings the crisis. And what's happening here leads me to believe that these merchants on ships were not simply doing their jobs. Here's what I think. I think their heads were down. 
I think they'd lost sight of the Lord in their busyness, in their industriousness, in their quest to make a living. They put their heads down, they leaned into the wind, and they got stuff done. And they didn't even realize they'd lost sight of God. And their hearts were growing calloused in their affluence. They forgot how much they needed the Lord. See, the wanderer, when the wanderer gets lost, he's like, wow, I'm lost, I need the Lord. Right? The rebel ends up in prison going, wow, I need the Lord. Even the fool says, I'm wasting away and says, I need the Lord. But the merchant's like, I'm pretty good, thanks. And I think that's because there is a crisis that is more subtle and more insidious and almost unnoticeable. And it's that slow, steady preoccupation with life. And it distracts us and distances us and squeezes God out of our lives. It's the crisis that happens when everything is fine. And I think that's the fourth story. When everything is fine. When you're lost, imprisoned, or on death's door, it's human nature to cry out to God. But when you're fine, we forget the Lord. How stupid is that? And so when the text says, those that go down to the sea in ships, they're there to pursue their mercantile ends. But I argue from this text that as they did so, they were trusting in their own competence in their ability to get things done, their ability to manufacture their own good fortune, their ability to handle the next four months. At least until God intervenes. The first three stories are stories of crises that we create for ourselves through our rebellion, sin, or foolishness. And those crises cause us to cry out to God. Sometimes we create the crisis. And sometimes God brings the crisis because we're missing out on life with Him. And He wants to shake us out of our apathy and wake us up to the reality of His presence and wake us up to the fact that we're missing out on seeing Him. And so what does God do? He brings a storm. They saw the works of the Lord and His wonderful deeds in the deep. What wonderful works are these? They're actually kind of terrifying. For He spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. And they mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. And they reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Can you picture that? Have you seen the ocean enraged as a nor'easter crashes on the back shore? God doesn't just rescue His people from the storms. Sometimes God sends the storm. Objection, Your Honor? I don't like that kind of God. I want God to help me to be happy and to live a good life and to be comfortable, secure, and without hardship. Newsflash. That's not the God of the Bible. But if you want to know your Creator, and if you want to learn how to lean on Him and to trust Him and not your own understanding, if you want to learn to lean on Him, to depend on Him for your life, for every breath, to truly know Him and enjoy Him forever and bring Him glory, now you're talking about the God of the Bible. And unfortunately, more often than not, those are the things we learn in crisis, not when things are fine. Sometimes God sends the storm. But even when He sends the storm, the rescue is not far behind. 
Right? This is where the story picks up and, and realigns with the first three stories because they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And what does God do? Always, He brings them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea they were hushed. And they were glad when it grew calm. He guided them to their desired haven. He guided them to a good harbor. This is our God. And so they respond with, by saying, give thanks to the Lord for His unfailing love and His wonderful deeds for mankind. Exalt Him and praise Him. They're filled with worship. They remember their God again. Their heads are up. They're looking around. They're seeing the beautiful majesty of God again. They're delighting in His goodness. Delighting in God through worship. It's beautiful. They don't miss a thing. They're finally doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're finally being who they're supposed to be being. They're enjoying their God in worship. Oh, that's a good story. So what does all this have to do with a sabbatical? Here's what I know. Ministry. Whether it's vocational ministry as a pastor, whether it's volunteer ministry in a church, or whether it's the ministry of being a follower of Jesus, living for Him, in your daily life. Ministry is overflow. Do you know what I mean by that? It means when God so fills you up with His presence and His love that it kind of splashes out from you and gets all over the people around you. It's a mess. But it's a glorious mess. Ministry happens when you are so in tune with the Lord and so delighting in Him that it can't help but get all over the people around you. If it's not overflow, you're missing out. If it's not overflow, well, you end up trying to please God and serve others out of your own strength, and boy, does that run out fast. And what's funny is it's as your own strength is running out, I could almost picture God shaking His head going, I'm just asking you to allow my strength to flow through you. Why won't you let that happen? And I think as I head out on a sabbatical, I've been missing out. I lack overflow. I feel empty. Now, I'm not wander. I'm not the wanderer. I didn't wander off. I'm not rebelling. I'm not as foolish as I could be. So those first three stories, they're good stories. They're not me. I hope they're not you. But this fourth story, this is the one that hits close to home. I'm right there with those that are doing their jobs. Everything was fine. But I'm just going to put my head down and get through it. I said, I can get through this. I'll just work harder. I'll try harder. Even as my heart got harder. Everything was fine. And I didn't even notice I was missing out on my relationship with Jesus. I was missing out on the very source of life and strength that I need. Because I put my head down. Because I said, I've got this. This is just a season. I can do anything for a season. And I've been missing out on Jesus. 
So here is my admonition to you all. It may seem a little odd, but here it is. I'm leaving for four months, and what I want for you is this. Don't be like me. Don't be so driven in your daily life that you miss out on everything that God has for you. Don't be so consumed by meeting all of your obligations and all of your responsibilities and making sure that everything is all lined up in a row that you forget the one for whom you're doing it all. Don't miss out on everything the Lord has for you, even if you're missing out by being so busy doing the very things He's calling you to do. I'm not afraid you're all going to run off, leave the faith behind, commit apostasy, and, and abandon Jesus. What I want is for you all to grow even closer to Jesus and find even more strength there and meet Him in a brand new way. Maybe from different voices. Maybe through other people who are leading. Maybe even God is calling you to try leading in a new area or a new way. What I don't want is for us to wait for these four months to be over so we can get on with doing life together in Jesus' name. I want you to chase after Him now. Don't head into four months by putting your head down saying we can power through this until Tim comes back. And you know that I'm not saying anything you don't know. But maybe you need to hear it from me. You don't need Tim. You need Jesus. So don't be fine while I'm gone. You better be a whole lot more than fine. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes looking around you. Delight in the good and glorious deeds of God. Do not circle the wagons. Do not coast. Whatever you do, don't miss out on everything Jesus has in store for you. Don't, not even for a moment, I don't want to miss out anymore. I'm tired of missing out. It's a lousy way to live with your head down. But I don't want any of you to miss out on living for Jesus either. So how do we do it? How do we avoid missing out? Well, fortunately, the psalmist answers that question too and provides us with three tangible opportunities to apply this. I think he's like Trinitarian or something. The psalmist actually does come right out and tell us in Psalm 107, and I'm going to spend the next four months following the instructions in the book. And I want to invite you to join me in following the instructions in the book. Here are the instructions. How do you avoid missing out on what God has for you? The first one is odd. It is to ponder the very last verse of the psalm. Verse 43 says, Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. That's why the psalmist is telling these stories. He's saying, slow down. Think deeply. Reflect. What he's basically saying is, is head up. Eyes open. Notice. See what God is doing. And then consider deeply now, what does that look like in your world? It hasn't looked like much in mine recently. Are you a walker? 
You go for a walk. Are you someone who can slow? What does it take to slow you down to the point where you can notice God again? Is it art? We're all artists as we're kids, and then somehow we grow out of it thinking, oh, I'm not that good. But art expresses. It's nothing to do with what the image is on the page at the end of it. Sometimes the art is just a way of putting, putting voice to a feeling. You run. <laughs> I've heard there's this thing called a runner's high, but maybe that's a way that there's nothing, you, really it's hard to do anything else while you're running except for just survive. <laughs> and that's a way you can slow yourself down. And if you're like me, you run really slow. But to pause and to think and to reflect. Or maybe it's journaling. When we taught the journaling class, we made journals this fall down in the fellowship hall. Capture, notice, ask yourself each night, how did I see God's hand at work? Where did I see the loving deeds of my Father? And reflect on those. The first practical thing we can do so that we don't miss out is actually ponder. To take time. If the psalm ends with the encouragement to ponder, it begins by saying, give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, His love endures forever. And it also says that in verse 8 and verse 15 and 21 and 31 is kind of the repeating refrain through this entire psalm. Every story ends here. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And so what, I guess what I'm encouraging us to do is not just to ponder, but then to take that which we've discovered in our ponderances and to actually talk to God about them. It's one thing to reflect on and say, wow, look at all this great stuff the Lord has done. That's only halfway there. Now take that and say, now Jesus, thank you for all this. <laughs> Actually spend some time with Him. Prioritize daily time. Prioritize moment by moment time. Prioritize every waking moment time with Jesus. Am I talking about a daily quiet time? No, yes, all of the above. That and then a thousandfold. Cultivate a conscious awareness of Christ in you and Christ with you. And maintain an ongoing conversation with Him. That there, There's a heartbeat between something amazing that happens that your heart doesn't say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And then there's a third thing. And this is the last one. And it is to tell your story. And if you remember, that's what the psalm is doing. It's story after story after story. What's your story going to be for these next four months? Verse 2 of this psalm. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. I want to encourage you, especially for these next four months, capture what God is doing in your life. Write it down. Share it with each other. Telling the stories of God's goodness and His faithfulness. Journal about it. Even as I'm heading out on a sabbatical, adult Sunday school, Joel and Sue's are leading through an adult Sunday school class on Sabbath. It's a chance to sort of slow down and to reflect on our story and the goodness of God. Sue's will be leading some journaling evenings across these four months to help us slow down and to reflect 
capture the story and save them up selfishly because I'm coming back. We'll be back after Easter and I'm going to want to hear about all the amazing things God's done. Don't you dare deprive me of that. I want to hear how the Lord has been moving in our church and through our church. I'm trusting the Lord is going to bring renewal to the Bushfield family. We need it. We want it. We're seeking it. I'm counting on Him. And I'm trusting that we'll have stories to share with you when we come back. But I want to hear your stories too. How our great God continues in His loving deeds. Tonight, many of you are coming to the sending dinner. But there's going to be another dinner when we get back. And at that dinner, the program is just this. It's storytelling night. And how cool would it be if you were able to share with the rest of us what God has done over the last four months by whipping out your journal and saying, can I share with you one of the entries that I wrote? It's short, but I just want to share with you how I saw God's hand at work in my life. And for us to be able to share those stories together, how much my heart will truly delight to come back and hear the story of a God who is at work. And through it all, whether it's through the calm or the storm, whether we're trekking through times of hardship or whether God is allowing us to lay down in green pastures. Don't miss out. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Enjoy His love. Allow Him to be glorified in your lives. Don't miss out on any of it. And we'll trade stories when I'm back. Is that a deal? Well then, for the last time in a long time, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are the great Rescuer. That You have rescued us from sin and death. You've rescued us from our rebellion and selfishness. You've rescued us that we might know You and be loved by You and enjoy life with You. And we don't want to miss any of it. So, Father, I thank You for this church. I thank You for our family. I thank You for the love that we see on display day in and day out, week in and week out. And as this next season, as this sabbatical season unfolds, Holy Spirit, will You dwell so powerfully amidst these people that they would live with their heads up, with their eyes open, tuned to see every good thing that You do, that they would be so overwhelmed by Your goodness and grace that they would be bursting with stories upon my return. We are so excited about all that You are about to do. We are so thankful that You are the God of great rescue. That whether it's from our rebellion and foolishness, or whether it's from our apathy or our busyness, whether You rescue us from our storms or bring storms to rescue us from ourselves, You are the God who rescues. And we love You for that. In Jesus' name, amen.